Information presented in the following program represents the opinions of the participants and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician before undertaking any treatment or therapy. How many new artists and great songs have you discovered over the past few months because you listen to community radio WERU-FM? Maybe more than you can recall right now, because every week we introduce you to about close to 100 new compact discs, some from familiar names and others from artists you discover here on WERU-FM. Think about it this way. Listening to WERU saves you time and money because you do not have to buy all these CDs on your own or listen to all of them to find the really good songs. We do all that for you. We think that is worth a contribution of a dollar or two a week this year, and we hope you do too. To help, go to WERU.org or call 1-800-643-6273. It's a little bit after 10 o'clock, 10.03 to be exact, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Healthy Options with Rhonda Feynman is next. Welcome. Hi, I'm Rhonda Feynman, and today we have a, a very special guest, uh, the noted neuropsychiatrist, scientist, and medical intuitive, Dr. Mona Lisa Schultz. She's the author of Awakening Intuition, and also uh, the book, The New Feminine Brain, How Women Can Develop Their Inner Strengths, Genius, and Intuition. She also has a uh, uh, something called the mind-body makeover cards, which I think we'll probably get to discuss how to use and, and uh, get into as uh, as the hour progresses. So I would just like to welcome uh, Dr. Schultz. Are you here? Thank you for having me. Great. Fabulous. Um, well, the first thing is, you know, I'm driving here to the studio, and uh, my hands are a little sweaty, and I'm getting a little anxious, and I'm thinking uh, maybe uh, Mona Lisa can help me figure out what's going on in my brain. <laughs> What's what what is what's happening as we uh, try to start something new, or as women, what what makes that a unique situation, or is that a unique situation? Well, um, anxiety is an important part of our intuitive guidance system. It lets us know when we're doing something new. We're in a situation where we might feel threatened, or or we might be intuitively connected to a loved one who's starting something new and isn't threatened. So the first time when you feel anxiety. You have to figure out, is this anxiety about my life or someone else's life? It's like what they say at CSI, you have to find the body. Hmm. Whose body is this anxiety belong with? But anxiety is a special um, problem for women because women get anxiety twice as often as men do. They're diagnosed. And that may be due to changes in hormones, progesterone specifically. Um, so we are um, more keyed in to our anxiety possibly because of our hormonal changes. Well, in your book, you do talk about estrogen being somehow an antidepressant factor in yes. our cycle and progesterone being, a mood, progesterone being a mood stabilizer. Can you talk about how that, how that manifests? Well, um, it's a very important point that estrogen helps our brains take in serotonin. So it makes sense where after you're pregnant and give birth, when your body's really an estrogen and progesterone factory, the sudden drop of estrogen, which was really a sudden drop of serotonin in your brain, 
makes you cry and, um, and makes you very, very sad, and they call that postpartum blues. So changes in estrogen across your life might make you more susceptible to feeling sad and melancholy or lower your threshold to crying about things. Women who've had breast cancer and are put on tamoxifen, tamoxifen lowers your estrogen. Some women are susceptible to depression during that. On the other hand, progesterone. Progesterone is a mood stabilizer, and progesterone helps our bodies keep our mood on in heel. So it makes sense that estrogen and progesterone travel together. Estrogen will bring your mood up, and progesterone will stabilize it from changing very often. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, so are you, you know, you... In, in, as we're uh, going through hormonal changes, especially uh, since we are speaking about the, fe- the, feminine, the feminine brain, um, you're, there's a lot of conversation about uh, the two sides of the brain talking to each other or, or not talking to each other, more conductivity in a woman's brain than a man's brain. Does that have to do with how we can change our emotions? Is the plasticity of the brain, is that more something that women are more able to do and then you can, have tell a you're an ac- you can tell you're an acupuncturist you ask multifaceted <laughs> multi-web questions there's, uh, there's a wonderful book on acupuncture by a friend of mine ted capture called the web without a weaver that's right <laughs> it's fantastic that <laughs> is a, that's a web question uh, <laughs> let me explain you it another way okay <laughs> during the first part of our menstrual cycle as women we're more in our left brain the left brain is more dominant when estrogen is lowest but when your hormones get to their height and estrogen and progesterone rise to the second part of your cycle, you're more likely to be in your right brain. These are studies that they've shown in dichotic listening. So the right brain is very important for emotions. So you have like a pull-back wash system for feeling across your month. The first cycle, you're more likely to be in your left brain and more likely to see the facts, man, just the facts, like dragnet. <laughs> but when you get, you ovulate, and your estrogen and progesterone start to rise, you shift more toward right brain perception of the world. So you're more likely to see, you know, why your partner keeps leaving his underwear, his or her underwear in the middle of the floor. Um, you know, why is this checking account balance so low? You're more likely to feel negative emotions. And so someone who doesn't have those hormonal shifts is more likely to have left and right brain, you know, the left brain sensor, right brain emotion. But a woman, when she um, is premenstrual or premenopausal, she's more likely to have unbridled right brain emotion or intuition. And that's why they call them wise women and they throw them in huts because they don't want to hear what they have to say. So we can learn how to listen to the emotional intensity and the intuition intensity that varies across our hormonal cycle as women. But that's not to say that men don't have intuition, because they do. They have a left brain and they have a right brain. They just process it differently. Does that answer your web question? It does answer <laughs> my web question. Let's go into specifics a little bit more. How would that work? How, how does that work in terms of how the processing happens? Well, um, when I was working, I can tell you how it worked for me. It's Great. easiest. When I was working in the lab doing my Ph.D., during the first part of my cycle, I could design the experiment, do the surgery. Everything was lovely. <laughs> then once I started to ovulate, I'd more likely get dropsies. I'd drop the vat of, of buffer down the stairs. Um, I'd be more likely to get upset by a bad phone call. And so those were times when I was seat 
and right brain emotion. So it wasn't time to do factual left brain stuff like the surgeries or the experiments. So I'd just do cover slipping, or I'd like clean <laughs> the thing out in the lab. So that would help me, you know, when you clean out of the closet when you're upset, it helps you sort out things. Mm-hmm. I would do those things during that right brain part of the month because it, it made more sense to me to use my, the brains as they were being presented to me across the month. For other women who have yet less erratic switches in their hormones, they might not be able to experience such severe swings, but some women do, and that's why they call it PMS. Ah. Um, that we, you know, you can learn a lot about veterinary medicine. It's very common that if you have a kitty um, and she's very moody, you fix her. You um, change her hormone, and she's, you know, sweet little thing. She gets, gains weight, but she goes into feline menopause, and she's less moodier. And that's what you do to some animals. And for some women, these moody cycles don't really stop until after they go to perimenopause. So um, it's, you have to learn how to use your unique feminine brain and how it's wired for emotion and intuition and learn how to work with it in months. For me, it changed what I did in the lab. I didn't try to do less brain activities when I was more in my right brain. And I just ended up being more successful in that way. But when I tried to push the edge mm-hmm. and um, try to do something different, I'd always be working at cross-purposes. And that's really interesting because you mm-hmm. were in a, a fortunate in a situation where you were able to change what you could do. You had those options that, that allowed you to have a different task at different times of the month. So I'm, I'm starting to think about uh, the socially constructed reality of, of, of our society where for a lot of, of women it's really difficult to be able to adapt that way. Well, then you'd um, pharmacologically and nutritionally or herbally um, balance your brain, uh, booster it in the place. I tried to do that. It didn't work, always work real well for me. So, for example... A lot of people don't know. So we've talked about attention. Um, we've talked about anxiety, and we've talked about mood. We haven't talked about attention. Right. Um, estrogen is very important for attention as well, and so paying attention. And some for some women who have subtler forms of ADD, attention deficit disorder, the, their ADD will get worse um, as the hormones change. So there are some women who have ADD that they only need medicine hmm. during the last half of their cycle. It's very very interesting. Um, so for, for me, if I was working in a supermarket at a checkout and I noticed that I was dropping numbers, I might realize that my attention shifted during the last part of the month and was not as effective. And so I would take supplements during that time or I would talk to my doctor about medicines. I would realize that there was a cyclic component to how my brain fired at work. And if I noticed that I was doing dropsies during the last, last half of the cycle, I mean, like I went into the CVS the other day and I bought three fans, and the woman charged me twice for one fan. <laughs> and the, the woman decided her noticed it, so she was serving as a frontal lobe. So it's very, very interesting. If, you're, if, you're, if your colleagues start noticing you make mistakes during one part of your month than the other, you can learn how to work with your new feminine brain and work with, um, you know, changing your nutritional supplements, changing your herbs, um, and maybe even doing medicine. So is there a... a- uh, you were discussing how everybody is a unique individual, and I know in, in the medicine th- th- that I practice, of course, that five people would come in with what we might call depression or anxiety, and there would be five different treatments and five different herbal formulas and different yeah. ways of dealing with this individually. So as an individual person, would you, how, it, how is what we're born with? How does genetics come into this? How about temperament and, and those kinds of things? How, how do we factor that in as we're trying to explore and understand 
what's happening in our unique our unique bodies. Well, like depression, you know, you have heart fire, you have um, liver yin, you go on and on with all those things. Right. The spleen deficiency. Those you might be born with those temperaments, or you might have acquired it for, from trauma. The way that I always deal with someone is I ask them, um, this is going to sound weird, but what, um, what are the disorders that run in your family? And what do people take that works? You understand? Yes. So if we're just talking about medicines, um, depression does not all, always a Prozac deficiency. So for some women, taking a stimulant when they're depressed puts them right over the edge. <laughs> yes. It's okay. too much. It's uh, too much because they may have an anxiety, a wiry component. So the anxiety and could be underneath almost. Women, women, women's brains, by and large, but there are some atypical women. I'm basically sure. a atypical woman, but um, women's brains, emotions aren't so cut dried. And a man's brain, traditional men, and there are, we know tr- non-traditional men, their, their brains are more compartmentalized for emotions. So when they're angry, they're angry. When they're sad, they're sad. When they're nervous, they're nervous. For the woman, that's not true. Um, women can have a mad, sad continuum. They can be irritable and then would cry. Some women cry when they're angry. Some women, um, you know, get irritable when they're depressed. So women have mixed mood states. And for a woman who had mixtures of depression and anxiety, she takes a stimulant like Prozac or Sammy mm-hmm. or ginseng. All of those things will put her right over the edge. So you look at your family. What do they do? Oh, uh, well, my mother, when she was depressed, she drank. Oh, well, then you know right away. Alcohol is a sedative. There's an anxiety component to it. Mm-hmm. So you look at the person. The other thing is you look at what drugs the person did when they were in college. <laughs> a lot of people do recreational drugs. I never did because I knew I would never, my brain is so weird that it would never come back. But a lot of people have done drugs. And so you ask them, you know, did you do alcohol? How much? Did you do, what did you do? Did you do cocaine? Did you do marijuana? And you will see that the people, they'll say, oh, no, I hated cocaine. It really made me anxious. And you know, that person has an underlying anxiety disorder. Um, but they say, they, oh, they love pot. They love marijuana. Then you know what, you know what chemistry you want to shoot for. So everybody's brain and temperament for depression and anxiety would be slightly different. And you would... Um, that's why a lot of women with ADD, attention deficit disorder, don't do well with Ritalin because they have some anxiety underneath it that's making them not pay attention. So you give them a stimulant, they're right over the edge. So Ritalin is, is really a stimulant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. But for true ADD, for someone who has true hyperactive-like attention deficit disorder, you'd ask them, well, you know, what did you do in college? Oh, I drank coffee all the time. It made me so calm. <laughs> I, um, I always have the TV on, I had five TVs, I danced, it helped me pay attention. This person is using environmental Ritalin. They're craving, they're a stimulant bound. They want stimulus to give them more attention. For those people, they're more Ritalin responders, and Ritalin, even though it's a stimulant, makes them pay attention and calm down. You can tell I get really fast during that time because I loved Ritalin. Ritalin was, Ritalin was like so calm for me. It just slowed me down. But I have the TV on all the time. I am constantly stimulus craving. It helps my brain pay attention. But for another woman who has anxiety, you put it right over the edge. Oh, you're kidding. I couldn't. We probably couldn't sit in the same room. Oh, I, drive, I, could, I could drive you crazy. 
there are certain people that if I went camping with, I could, I could drive them crazy in maybe two minutes. Martha Stewart, I put her right over the edge maybe a minute and a half. <laughs> and that's hard to believe. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so for, for those of us who will go into a restaurant where it's really loud and just start shutting down and go getting you, you know, The crazy. reason why you would shut down, that's fascinating. That totally. is the way that your brain... Your frontal lobe will come in and say, I'll save you now. Oh, well. It will say, I will censor this entire environment. For me, that just can't be. If I'm in a, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, my idea of a utopia, Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> okay? There's a lot of noises. Oh, I sit. If I go to a restaurant, I sit. I always eat at the Harrisican Inn. I eat at the Harrisican Inn every single day. And they know who I am because I sit at the corner of the bar, and I read the Boston Herald, and I have the TV on at the same time, and I watch the people. That's a multi-sensory experience, and it's calming for me. It's very relaxing. So we really have to stay in tune with what your brain needs and not be judgmental in thinking that all brains, all sizes fit all. It's just not the helpful. That's why we have an obesity epidemic. Obesity is not from a lack of information. It's not from a lack of information. We have more information. We have Jenny Craig. We have nutritional system. We have Weight Watchers. We have Curves. You can't drive down Route 1 without tripping over one or two weight things in right. Maine. Well, you also trip over Burger Kings and Friendlies as well, but the point of the matter is we all have more choices, and why do we choose supersizing? Why do we choose the, um, the whoopie pie? Isn't that a lovely history? <laughs> um, because um, I think whoopie pies have really begun to sell this part of, um, this part of the year in Maine because of all the rain. We want to import all that um, sugar as an antidepressant. But the reality is um, obesity is really a, um, a brain disorder. And we are medicating our brains with food mm. to, to soothe something. And that's why if you just focus on the exercising and counting points, it doesn't work. Because you will always sabotage it unless you learn how to um, balance your brain chemistry. Well, I want to talk about how we can do that. I just want to tell uh, new listeners that we are speaking with Dr. Mona Lisa Schultz on uh, Healthy Options here on uh, WERU, 89.9 Blue Hill and 102.9 in Bangor. And um, we're uh, at a really crucial junction here because we're going to learn a little bit, some techniques about how to take how um, what's happening in our own lives and uh, maybe interpret what we're doing to soothe our brains or re-stimulate our brains and how that adaptive kind of uh, situation um, can be helpful for us to create health instead of imbalance in our lives. So um, you talk about it. Tell me if this is uh, the right place to bring this in, the emotional centers. Is this one way that we can start looking at uh, Well, let me tell you one way of craving? looking at it. Yeah, exactly. So if you have a right brain... Emotion. Right brain emotion tells you it's intuition. It lets you know that something in your life has changed. So if you don't listen to the, me- the meaning behind the mood, the ki- signal, why am I irritable, why am I anxious, why am I sad, then the right brain emotion, fester, fester, rot, rot, will slip down into your body and increase your chance towards some symptom in your body. And if held long enough, will increase your chance toward illness. So in other words, if I go to work and my boss throws a file at me and says, do this, <laughs> Okay, I feel a little, I feel like I'm going to cry a little bit, but I suck it in because I've taken my DHA, my mood stabilizer, and my progesterone that day. So then he comes in after lunch and says, I don't know what you did with that file, but it's crap. And he throws me four more. And then he walks away. Then I, my lip quivers a little bit, and I'm really sad. I go home, I look in the mirror, 
and I think, oh, my God, I look fat. <laughs> because I haven't been able to process my right brain sadness and possibly anger. So I go home and I turn it inward. There's this great song from the 60s. Do you remember Downtown? Uh, when who, you're lonely. Who could and, forget Downtown? <laughs> when you're lonely and life is making you lonely, you can always go Downtown. You can always go home and take the emotions that had something to do with what was going on in the world and take it out on yourself. So a lot of women will look at the mirror and think, I hate myself, when really, they were really angry at their boss, but they couldn't figure out an effective way hmm. of being assertive, so they go home and they pick on themselves. Pick, 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 pick. And then they really feel bad, so then they stand in front of the refrigerator. They open it, and they go carbo-seeking. So, hmm. you know, people used to have drug-seeking behavior, now we have carbo-seeking behavior. And it doesn't matter what it is. You just put it in your mouth, and you eat it, and it feels a little good for a second, but then it, it just keeps making you more empty, and you want more and more and more. And then you sit down, and the next day you look in the mirror, and, my God, you are heavier. And this process goes on and on and on. And that's when they say, I hate my job, 20 pounds later. Hmm. And they don't understand that it began with that quivering lip when they threw the file at you. Hmm. So learning how to be attentive to your emotions, which are a source of your intuition, that something is wrong. Now, I'm not saying you look at your boss when he throws something and you say, you can go to hell, too. That's not really effective. <laughs> there is an effective and timely and appropriate way of handling these situations so that they don't go from your right brain into your body, fester, fester, rot, rot, and increase your chance for health problems. I think this is why we have 60% obesity. I love this thing about kids. Now everyone wants to talk about kids with obesity. So we're going to take all the Coca-Cola and the sodas out of the, um, out of, out of the schools, okay? And the kids just go home and interact via my place. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a reason why kids are getting fatter. It's not just food choices. Right. There's a reason for that, and it has to do with some warping of emotional expression in our culture with kids. Hmm. Which starts, of course, with adults, which starts, who it's, knows? It's a big, vicious cycle, but our life has gotten a little bit less attentive to emotions and more connected to electronics. I, I can't leave the house without having four different adapters. I have an iPod adapter. I have um, a T-Mobile, you know, sidekick adapter, which is like a, um, what is it, blueberry, blackberry, cantaloupe, whatever you call those things. <laughs> I have an adapter for my cell phone. I have, um, you know, an XM serious radio I mean, it goes on and on. Well, you're, you're completely connected to everything. Well, I, I do have to say that I did buy an iPod, and now I have lost all of my adapters. I have no idea where they are. So I would expect that from your web-like brain. But I can't <laughs> even put the music in the iPod. You haven't so, been able to figure that out? I, well, no, I know exactly how, but if I could only find the uh, actual the piece adapter. of equipment. Um, so, <laughs> so City, nine ninety nine. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so what happens... Um, What's happening is, do you think that, so people have a different propensity where this kind of warp is going to go, where it will show up. Some people will go for the carbohydrates. Someone else will get really anxious and maybe have heart palpitations. Or Well, I, I go out to lunch with my friend Dixie. Dixie Mill, she's a breast surgeon, which is very interesting. I, I watch buffet behavior. I love sitting by the buffet. You can tell a lot about a person's brain by watching how they choose and what they choose. So Dixie will, you know, I'll say, you want some dessert? She'll say, no, I, you know what, I think I'll have a little bit of fruit. And you're like, good for you. <laughs> you were born without the chocolate gene. What do you think, you're superior? And she'll laugh. Because some people don't have that twitchy kind of brain that needs sugar to soothe them. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. So she just doesn't do that. And it's like, those people, I, I just don't, I think they should be sequestered in the camp somewhere. I just don't understand those kind of people. On the other hand, you'll see some women, it's dog eat dog over there by, by the dessert buffet. Right. And they won't just take a small plate, they'll take a big plate. And you can tell that they're upset. Um, then there are the women with, like, or the women and the men with the obsessive compulsive disorder, where they hang out by the olives and the, um, the little pieces of vegetable, and they take them one at a time and line them around the plate. It's very interesting. So, yes, food, we use food to medicate our behavior and our brain. And I think it, it's a very telltale. When you do that, what your brain needs and what it craves. But sometimes it doesn't always work, and you will overdo with certain kinds of food. Okay. What about, um, would, does this also manifest in other ways, that someone's angry all the time or takes it out, or is that, uh, you know, my chicken-egg kind of thing here? Am I getting it backwards? That someone who's irritable all the time, mood being pervasive, mood somehow shifting, not knowing why they're raging or not knowing why they're... Well, some people, anger is a final common pathway for everything. Right. There are some types of mentally retarded people whose brains are not very well developed that every emotion looks like anger. And, you'll, and it's really hard to know. So they'll say, well, maybe she's depressed. Well, she's angry, she's hit. When she's nervous, she hits. And when she's depressed, she hits. So it's like a crapshoot. You have to figure out what emotion that is is medicated. Or find out what's in the environment. For some people, for example, so we'll go back to you're at work and your boss throws you a file. Your lip quivers, you're sad, right? Yes. Then he throws some more files at you at lunch and says, I don't know what you did with the first file, but you messed those up too. And he throws them at you. So not only is your lip quivering, but now you're anxious. By the time you get home, you're irritable and you hate yourself. Hate is anger. So all that emotion is going down that trail. And if you always were kind of an irritable temperament as a baby, emotions will always tend to end up as, I hate myself, I'm angry at the world, which is why there's an epidemic of kids, uh, college, college students, who are cutting themselves. Hmm. 20% of all people in colleges, they did this study, two Ivy League schools, I couldn't believe it, cut themselves. And that's anger directed inward. And so it, a lot of times if you look at people who do this kind of behavior, road rage, they now have an article in the front of the paper that intermittent explosive disorders, 5% of the culture. Well, I don't know about you, but if you're sad, you can see it can come out in your driving. Mm -hmm. It will look like you're irritable and impatient. So a lot of times, the end result of any mood for some women will end up being anger and will tend to be turned inward, either as in cutting, self-abuse, um, over-dieting, over-exercise, or some self-deprecating kind of um, behavior. So for some people... You ha it's very hard. It just ends up being always angry at the time. So you have to trace back to what was the quivering lip. Hmm. What was the nervous feeling in your belly? Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. Because there's a wonderful kind of treatment in Maine. I think this is fantastic. It's called um, dialectic behavioral therapy. Dialectic. D-I-A-L-E-C-T-I-C. D-B-T. They use it for people who have had a history of trauma. and have, Those people have trouble talking about their emotions and naming them. They've done it for people who have panic attacks and borderline personality disorder and bipolar, too. This type of treatment is excellent to teach anybody the skills and how to manage emotions so they don't go down 
the anger alley and towards self-abuse, overeating, um, any kinds of other behaviors. So it's fascinating. And um, you can get information about that mm. at um, Maine Medical Center, um, any of the major medical centers in your area. Um, it's a fantastic kind of treatment to help you manage your moods. How, how does how does that work? Is it is it like a behavioral kind of thing, or or is it a cognitive talking about what's going on? Or what you do is you need. It's like remember that remember that TV program. Name that tune. I can name that tune in three notes. Yep. And it'll say name that tune, and so they'll go do do do. <laughs> you have to name it. Okay. <laughs> your feelings, your emotions come out with symptoms in your body feelings in your chest, feelings in your head, various ways in which symptoms. So you, for, for me, my hand will shake when I'm angry, my lip will quiver, and I'll feel jittery. I can name that emotion in three symptoms. You know name exactly that what that is. And then I have to look backward and say, what, what prompted that? What, this is what DBT does. What was the prompting event? Oh, that started when the guy threw the, the, the chart at me. Wow. I must have been mad. I didn't even realize that because I couldn't. I didn't know how to be angry and maintain my job. So I can learn a skill on how to handle that situation when I experience that emotion because it's a part of our intuition. It lets us know that my rights were violated and I felt disrespected. And I can figure out how to soothe that so that I don't go home and eat four Sara Lee cheesecakes and then really hate myself. This is a good thing. And what I want you to know, Marsha Linehan, she's at the University of Washington. I think she should win the Nobel Peace Prize. And the problem is most people think this is just a treatment for borderline personality disorder. It isn't. It, the, the book is called Skills Training. We all need these skills and how to name that emotion and be able to soothe it so your cholesterol doesn't go up. Do you know that cholesterol is a stress hormone? You probably know that. You're an acupuncturist. So if you get aggravated, your cholesterol will go up, sometimes regardless of what you eat. I don't know if it's irregardless or regardless. So we used to be, when we admitted people into the psych unit, their cholesterols were always up. Well, you know. You're stressed if you're about to be admitted to a psych unit. But then by the time you come out, and believe me, it's not the hospital food, you know, you talk to the nurses, you do OT, and you, you've sorted out some problems in your life, your cholesterol goes down. Cholesterol is a stress hormone. So is insulin, and so is blood sugar. Because when you're stressed, your body says, I'm going to need fat to get through this battle, and then I'm going to need sugar to burn up fuel. And so your blood sugar goes up, your insulin goes up, your, um, your cortisol goes up, your cholesterol goes up, you're stressed, and if you stay that way for a long time, you're going to roll out the barrel, get heavy, hypertensive, and cholesterol, and that is our 60% overweight nation. So on one hand, we're saying we have propensities for these, weak, these areas to, that the imbalance will show up, whatever we're upset about or whatever is not right in our lives, relationship, work, whatever, whatever it is. Um. What, you know, this is, this seems like a, a pervasive society, society problem that... Un- That's why they call emotional centers. Okay. Certain, I know, because I was just trying to read your mind there. Wait, you said, oh, thank you, I needed some help. Is it really good? My brain stopped. No, it's okay. That's why you're anxious on the way to work. Because <laughs> <laughs> you put two ADD people on a, um, on a radio show, nothing gets done. Let me go back to the, the seven emotional centers. The issue is that um, if you hold an emotion for very long, and you don't respond to the intuition behind it, it tends to go into seven basic areas in your body, which tend to be um, social situations. So, like, um, 
And we know this from the literature. If you read the book Awakening Intuition, and you look at the footnotes in the back, they're all in peer-reviewed medical journals. You know, the number of footnotes there could knock your eye out. But anyway, so it just so happens that not feeling very safe and secure in the world, feeling anxious about your family or your organization you work in, tends to make your immune system plummet or makes your bones thinner, osteoporosis. Hmm. Um, she goes, hmm. Second emotional center is your pelvis area, your lower back. Worrying about money or sex or in relationships tend to hit you in your lower back. What do people, what falls out with them when they're worried about finances, their lower back? Um, third emotional center is your stomach, your weight, to do with self-esteem, responsibility, and work. And people who work in um, chaotic, um, very competitive environments tend to get ulcers. People who feel bad about themselves, self-esteem, tend to overeat and get um, obese or have addiction and so on. And so there are seven centers, and if the emotion isn't listened to, it tends to target a specific area of the body, and that's all footnoted in awakening intuition. So the reality is if you don't learn how to listen to your emotions, you're, you're going to have to pay it forward to your body. I never really understood that concept of pay it forward, but you're going to eventually pay, and pay big in the mm. form of health problems because your body will let you know that something's really wrong and get you out of that job or that marriage or that family. Does that make sense? It makes great sense. And as we're really focusing in on what our bodies are doing, and I will, I will say that, and, and you probably see this too, that, again, in the dominant culture, we're not encouraged to look inside and say, this is what's happening or see it as a, a balance between our internal landscape and our external landscape, that there's a, a great pressure to think if you're not coping or functioning well in a particular setting or in your relationship, that there's something wrong with you. Well, you know those batting cages where you stand there with a baseball bat? You don't look like the kind of person who would do this activity, but we've seen it on TV. Where the, there's um, a ball machine, and it starts throwing balls at you, and you have to hit them. This it does not sound is. like fun to me. But <laughs> no, you wouldn't be that way. You're like with a maca stick and then woo. But I'm just, telling you, I'm just telling you. And then they can speed up the speed of the balls coming at you, and it drives you crazy. And it's usually part of some movie that's very funny. Um, that's what the world is. You get, keep getting things thrown at you. And there isn't a lot of time for self-reflection in between the balls being thrown at you. You're like a, a shortstop during a practice session for the Red Sox. It's not a fun position to be in. And so you just are fielding the balls that are thrown at you in your life. So there isn't a lot of self-reflection. It's like when I'm at home during the day, I have four lines, four phone lines in my house. And so phones are ringing every five seconds. And if I'm answering the phone, there isn't a lot of time to self-reflect in between those balls coming at me. And so um, that's why in our world we have an iPod, we have a cell phone, we have a T-Mobile sidekick, um, all these different phone lines. You don't, you're so connected to all this information that you don't have enough downtime to process it. And it makes, it makes you feel overwhelmed and wrought that there's no free time for just that kind of casual yin-like processing. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why we're all on Lipitor and anti-cholesterol and, mm-hmm. you know, insulin nation. I think that's the reason. So here we are listening to this. You've written your books. Tell us what uh, this is, of course. Uh, by the way, again, if you've just tuned in, we're listening to uh, speaking with Dr. Mona Lisa Schultz, a uh, 
neuro, uh, neuropsychiatrist, scientist, and medical intuitive, author of Awakening Intuition, and also The New Feminine Brain, How Women Can Develop Their Inner Strengths, Genius, and Intuition. And in these books, there's a lot of uh, ways that now that we're aware of the situation, what, what specific things? You, me- you mentioned the, uh, the specific type of dialectical, di- let me get this right, the, the type of therapy. Dialectic behavioral therapy. Dialectic basically. behavioral therapy. Um, what, uh, what else can we be doing once we're aware of these, this situation to help ourselves? Well, um, one of them is, you know those little pink pads while you are out? They take phone message pads. I put those in my bathroom, and when I wake up in the middle of the night and I've had a dream, I write down the dream, and while you are out, on that little message pad. <laughs> and so, you know, when you dream, you're out. And it helps you keep track of your dreams. And I would have a buddy, a friend who you, you know, you have dream report, and you talk about your dreams. I would do affirmations. I'm a firm believer in Louise Hay um, affirmations. There's a great book, Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life Workbook, and mine's pretty dog-eared. The other one is Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawan. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I just open it up, and, you know, I deserve total love now. Um, uh, I love myself just the way I am. And, you know, you set up a mirror, and you have your little book, and you do your affirmations at the end of the night. I always do mine at 1130 during Will and Grace. <laughs> that would not be what you would want to do. It used to be during the Ellen DeGeneres show, um, Oxygen, but for some reason, some idiot took that off. So I... I do those things um, in a way that's comforting for, for me. For you, you might, you know, be one of those people, you know, you need the tub with the candles and, the, you know, that aromatherapy kind of stuff. That would just put me right to sleep. So affirmations are very, very helpful to um, program your brain into more loving, self-healing kinds of thoughts. I would always have my biggest meal of the day in the midday, and I'd have it with a relaxed environment. Mm. I would make sure that when you get a job, that you figure out a way in which you carve that out. And a lot of people say, well, I can't do that. I did it in medical school. Even if it was 10 minutes, I'd go down to the cafeteria, go in the corner, away from everybody, and just eat my lunch in peace. I would just eat my lunch in peace. Just your time in the middle of the day, that's your time to do what you want. Um, when I worked in the lab, I used to go on the roof with a sun chair <laughs> and you know, sit there in downtown Boston and get sun at midday. Um, but your time at midday is your time. And it helps reset your brain and just get all that busy shrapnel out of your mind. Um, I would exercise every day outside in the air because it kind of gets you connected with what's going on. Even if it just means walking out to the, post, um, the, the mailbox and getting your um, mail in the rain, I do that just because I want to be connected to what the world is doing, even if it's not particularly inviting at that moment. Do these make sense? Absolutely. Um, I, I do acupuncture every week. Um, I think it's very, very helpful for me, not because you're an acupuncturist and I want to promote acupuncture in Maine, but I've done it since 1982. Um, I think it's one of the most um, productive kinds of treatments for, um, for back problems, for immune system disorders, and for moodiness. And I, I just do that every week. I go to Fern in Yarmouth. She's wonderful. We love her, and she's very calm, and she never gets upset. She goes, oh, oh, <laughs> she's very calm. <laughs> Every once in a while, she'll get really upset. Oh, no! <laughs> but that's oh, no, about not it. that. <laughs> Fern doesn't get really upset. And those are the kind of things I do. I love animals. I think an- having animals in your life are very important and really, really good friends. 
Um, but they're basic things, and I think that that kind of makes you sane. Just to, re- to, to really, what you talk about, the, the five emotions have all the balance. Yeah, because there's some days when you're like, son of a bitch, <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe that just happened. And then, you know, you're going to watch Will and Grace and watch stupid stuff. You just go from one emotion to the other. I remember meeting, I don't know how I ended up going into this, you know, those Zen Buddhist retreat things. So I kind of found my way into one of those. And I was sitting there with, you know, those guys in the robes. And they're always <laughs> kind of smiling. And um, the guy, somebody raises their hand and says, you know, I'm trying to get rid of my anger. I think anger is a toxic emotion. I love that question. So the man says, what's the matter with you American people? I was stunned. Mm-hmm. He said, anger is just another emotion. It's important to float through it just like every other emotion. To prevent yourself from feeling anger is like to hold some of this energy not away from you, which is as vital an emotion as any other emotion. He was absolutely correct. So, you know, when you feel angry, understand it's prompting emotion and then let it pass. Respond mm-hmm. effectively. But don't stay stuck on that emotion. It's like getting stuck in a skip in a record. It's bad for your body. That's, you know, in, in, you talk about um, meditation in your book, and you, you do talk about uh, getting into uh, some sort of uh, transformed state. And it's interesting because my experience of, of meditation, which I, I practice uh, a fair amount of, is completely different. As a matter of fact, you know, as, as Pema Chodron, one of the great Buddhist teachers, talks about we're all sitting here looking like Buddhists, but it's really a madhouse in here. Because what's going on is as you start paying attention to what your mind is really doing. It's a very active process. It's a very active process. And it's exactly what you're saying. The idea that you can let go, that you don't, that it's just passing through, it's not a solid thing. It's That's just... what DBT does. There's a whole thing called, it's based on Tibetan Buddhism, there's something called dear, um, Wise Man. It teaches you how to observe and describe your feelings, not judge them, not push them away. It teaches you how to, that Buddhist way of just observing and describing. They do this with people who are very depressed, very suicidal, and it keeps them out of the hospital. It's amazing. And so if those people can do this, anybody can do this. It really is effective. It's a very effective kind of thing. So, yes, no, I think that kind of meditation is very helpful. But different people meditate in different ways. I, I remember yes. when I was working in the gonorrhea lab, there was this woman. The place, there were a lot of Indian women there. And there's this woman with Dashna. You know, they have that whole clothing thing going on. I'm like in the summer with shorts, and she's got this whole outfit on. It's amazing. It's anyway. Beautiful. It's, yeah, it's gorgeous. I just didn't know how she did it with a sweating issue. But um, so I'm, you know, we're processing our gonorrhea. And I said, so, you know, Darshna, do you meditate? <laughs> she looks at me like a complete idiot. And she says, well, I am meditating now. And, it, I, you know, that kind of stuck in my mind all these years because it's the concept of being able to be processing emotions inside of them is such an internal, they've been doing it since they were very young. They don't have to, like, go to a meditation retreat and right. sit underneath a, um, a uh, you know, a crystal-lined pyramid. So it was just very, very interesting. It made me feel quite ridiculous, my shorts and flip-flops. But anyway, um, no, I think it's a, it's a fantastic thing. For me, certain types of running used to be very meditative, rhythmic kind of plopping of my shoes on the ground. Now it's my elliptical trainer. <laughs> so everyone has to find their own inner elliptical trainer or, yeah, or no. external elliptical trainer. And, and, and then I know you talk a lot about various supplements, but what's interesting is, and what I appreciate so much is, and, and when I do encourage people to, to get, to really look at the books and look at the uh, ideas in there, because there are so many 
various kinds of nutritional supplements. You talk about Sam E for depression and and uh, attention problems, ginkgo balboa. You talk about um, all of these kinds of things. And then you very specifically talk about why someone would want to take this and what kind of situation you wouldn't want to take it in. So, for instance, if you are very anxious, don't take DHEA. Cause it oh, can... my God. DHEA will put you over the edge because it's stimulant. Right. So and when we talk about self-prescribing, it's important to have these contradictions, you know, these, these cautions out there because you can actually do a lot of harm. These are real substances that are really changing our moods and changing what's going on inside of us. The other thing is, is that um, there are a lot of side effects. I remember back in 84, um, I had epilepsy and I was an anticonvulsant and, you know, it was wiping out my bone marrow anyway. Um, but at that time, when my white cell count was dropping precipitously and my liver function tests were going up, um, this was at the beginning when hardly anyone was doing herbs, or at least we weren't talking about it. We were just doing it down in the combat zone, Chinatown. And so my doctor, Dr. Matheson, said, so, um, you know, what else are you taking other than this Tegretol? I'm like, well, I'm taking Shaoya Wan, Shen Ma Wan, and all this stuff. And she, says, and she says, oh, that's not it. And so she just poo-pooed it. So uh-huh. she thought herbs were like a bunch of grass. Then when they took me off of Tegretol and my white cell count was still really low, all of a sudden she really wanted to know. And now that was, that was in the 80s. Now it's 2006, which is unbelievable. And now we know that there are a lot of herbs are blood thinners. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very careful. There's a whole blood thinner chart in there. And so if, if you are taking anything in your mouth, the best thing you can do is talk to a doctor um, who you really feel comfortable with who you can talk about everything you're putting in your mouth to make sure that you're not doing a bunch of blood thinners. You're not doing things that are hypertensive. A friend of mine did this supplement to make her feel less old. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And um, her blood pressure spiked out after taking this for two months. Wow. And she can't get her blood pressure down. And it had three different types of ginseng in it. Yes. So, you know, meanwhile, she's got 150 over 90 or something like that. It's very upsetting. So you really, really have to be very, very careful. Herbs are not grass. Herbs are as potent as medicines because where do you think medicines, a lot of medicines come from? But herbs. They just, you know, they're still in the drug company and then they patent them. So you have to be very, very, very careful. They're not, you know, benign supplements. Absolutely. You know, you were uh, very modest. And didn't mention your own cards as, ta- as, as part of the affirmation and, and re- education of our mind. I'm not very good at selling. Huh? <laughs> I'm not very good at selling. Well, um, these are great. I picked one this morning. And what it says is, uh, I, this was at random. The name of their, they're called Mind Body Makeover Cards. And there is a pic, what? Oh, yes. Yeah, there's a great picture of the original Mona Lisa. There was only one other, as we know. And uh, holding a brain. So you can't miss them. And um, what's really interesting is I picked, I picked this one, and it, it says the, I guess the, the negative thought would be, or not the negative, well, how, do we, how would you describe so they're it? They're round cards, and they're based on, believe it or not, the disco era. So remember that song, Turn the Beat Around? <laughs> yeah, who so, could forget? Okay, okay so the idea is you want to turn your mind around, you want to turn your, um, your thoughts around that problem. So when you pick a card, if the dark side of the card is up, it's a circle card, that means you have, probably have the negative thought pattern that's in your mind. And then, to turn the thought around in your head, you turn the card around, and the lighter side is the more positive thought pattern. So, for example, I'll pick a card, too, self-revealing. Yeah, I know. That's why I didn't want really... And I'll tell you how I did these cards. But we'll so, healthy body. Okay? So, the dark side is I, 
I t- <laughs> this is true. I tend to have accidents and other life-threatening health problems. Oh, that's not me. So then you turn the thought around, and it says, I know what my purpose in life is. My faith in a higher power gives my life meaning and purpose. So you just, you know, you write that seven times or ten times. And these cards are basically, there are ten suits, fear, anger, sadness, love, and joy, self-esteem, body, work, and so on. And there are seven cards in each one based on the, sh- the chakras, the emotional center. And it teaches you how to turn around the thought patterns that tend to cause illnesses. Well, not cause illnesses, but increase your chance for illnesses, because we really don't cause our illnesses. So what card did you pick? I picked, um, okay, the, uh, this is from the Healing Sadness 3, and it says, I blame myself for things that go wrong around me. I must be in control. That makes sense. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I want everybody on, oh, in the I entire got, world to know that I, I must accident, be in control. I got, run, I got run over by a truck, for God's sake. Oh, all right, you won, right? right. <laughs> and on the other side it says, but I like this, things are happening as they should around me. Yeah, so that, in other words, so you're totally. an acupuncturist. Yes. And when a lot of your, you're a healer, so a lot of patients, I mean, you can't guarantee that everyone's going to get healed because their health is between them and their soul. So when things don't necessarily go well, people like you tend to get, you know, very upset. Yeah. And you, because you really care, you're over empathic. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so that's good. And I had this out here too, you know, just. So these are great in, in order uh, to, to do that so that you can not see these, as you were saying, as negative thoughts. You see them as. Uh, thoughts that need to be turned around. Turning around. That's right. Turning around. Now, so, I know. Those, and we only have a few minutes left, but I did want to. I, you touched very briefly on that, the idea that we don't cause our illnesses. Yeah. And I, I think that comes up a lot. Um, people do feel they've done something wrong or feel blamed or somehow shamed or something if they do have, have uh, some sort of uh, chronic illness. And uh, I want to talk, wanted to just clarify that a, a little bit more. You, 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 and you, you often say that, um, or at least in one of, one of, one of the books, um, that, uh, that we don't cause our illness, but we miss. Pay, be, pay attention. Well, I be responsible. Think, responsive. All, all illness is in part genetic. Is in part due to diet, the environment, and so on. But every illness has an emotional and behavioral component. Yeah, I mean, you know, when there's a flu around, only certain people come down with the flu. Not everyone, you know, takes a big dirt nap when that happens. And so some people have enhanced susceptibility due to genetics, due to diet, if you're run down, trauma, and so on. And, but so we don't cause our illnesses because there's so many different factors that are associated with it. However, Bernie Siegel once said, cancer is nature's reset button. When mm. you get sick, it forces you to reevaluate what's, what you're doing, what's going on with you, even for a moment. Um, so a lot of people, when they've had a life-threatening illness like cancer, it forces them to say, I want to stay on the earth, what do I want to stay on the earth for? And that's a great gift of cancer. Many people, there's that wonderful cancer center in Maine that was started a friend of mine, Lisa Gorman, was very active in it at one time. Um, and a lot of the people you talk to who've had cancer, it really helps you see more closely what is important in life and what is not essential. So you must know that I got breast cancer back in August, and I had a double mastectomy. And, no. you know, I know. I got reconstruction and this whole thing. Um, it's a long story. It's another radio show, but it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. It was very hard. Very hard. Um, but... It really helped me reevaluate what's important and what's not. And I'm a different individual. It's like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't sweat the small stuff. Now that little title of that book really makes sense. So, that's, that's, so you don't cause your illnesses, but they definitely help you 
take stock of your life and respond more effectively to things. Just going to let that sink in for a moment. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Mona Lisa Schultz. She's um, a uh, neuropsychiatrist, scientist, and medical intuitive. Um, we have a couple of minutes left. Let me just say uh, that um, you're listening to Healthy Options on WERU at 89.9 Blue Hill and 102.9 in Bangor. And we're streaming on the web, hopefully. They're listening to this in India, www.weru.org. Or maybe your Dashna, who used to work with me in the gallery lab. Um, that's right. That's right. So, so when, when one does get, um, well, before, before something becomes totally chronic, in the body, what you're saying is then we have a lot of uh, some opportunity. The mind is, pl- is has some plasticity. We can we can change almost uh, a cell on a cellular level some things that are going on if we pay attention. Would would you say that that's a fair assessment? Yeah, um, you can tell when something in your body is going south. Right. You can feel it at the beginning. It starts with the lip quivering at work when the guy threw the files at you, and then you go home and you notice that you're eating three cheesecakes and you notice that you don't want to exercise and you notice the next day you don't want to dress up for work. There are things to notice at the very beginning of that before you gained 150 pounds. There are signs along the way. And if you don't have the skills to effectively respond to the earliest signs that you're upset, upset is a great word because you don't know what emotion it is. Could it be fear, anger, sadness? No one knows. I'm just upset. I'm overwhelmed. Then go to someone who does cognitive behavioral therapy, who does DBT, who can help you name that emotion and learn how to effectively respond to it so that it doesn't have to go down the road where women, some women and men at 54 realize, my, oh, my God, my body's a mess. I've completely... There was a man who called me for a reading yesterday, a very nice man. He's a primary breadwinner for, um, for his family. And, you know, he's got a lower back problem and he's got a neck problem and he doesn't really like his job. And he's got a heart problem, and it's like, you know, what part don't you understand of this? Something has to change. You can't really carry all this economic responsibility yourself. And he's, you know, he's 40, 50. So all of us get signs, not so subtle signs, that something is wrong, and it means change course. Did you ever see that movie Twister? No, I didn't. With Helen Hunt, it's a bunch of people who chase tornadoes. Yeah, it's just not my kind of movie. Well, see, (laughs) my kind of movie, accidents, disasters. Anyway, so they're driving this truck chasing a tornado down the road. And, you know, a cow is thrown at the windshield from the, to- from the tornado. You know, and then this huge truck on fire gets thrown at-, at the truck. And so finally Helen Hunt says, you think maybe we should get off of this road? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to say is when you get, you know, a cow thrown at you in your life, gallbladder, or you get a, a truck on fire, you know, l- lower back disc, should you not change the road that you're traveling on? It's a sign from your intuitive guidance system. It doesn't mean you messed up. It didn't mean you caused your illnesses. It's a sign that maybe this is the wrong road. Um, some people don't want to get off the road. I mean, you know, when I was lived in Boston, you know when you sit, well, I don't know if you've ever lived in the city. It doesn't sound like you're a cup of tea, but you wait by the I'm from New York. Are what? You, are you seriously? What? You're what? From, okay. You're from New York? Are you Excuse serious? me. I have 30 seconds to say, yes, I'm oh. from New York. Okay. Oh, my God. Anyway, when you, wait for, <laughs> when you wait for a bus, when you wait for a bus and you keep waiting and you know that the bus isn't coming, part of you is embarrassed to leave. 
So changing is not a, an embarrassing thing. It's a positive thing. This is good. Change is not a, an embarrassing thing. It's a positive thing. And yeah. we can all do it, even if, even if you find that you're in these situations, that there are t- techniques and ways that you can transform your life. And I think that's really the bottom line with all of this. I think is, is this, is, I'm, I'm getting the signal. We're wrapping up here. Thank you for joining me. This has been very, very educational and much fun. And um, this, we have been speaking with uh, Dr. Mona Lisa Schultz. And she is a neuropsychiatrist, a scientist, and medical intuitive. She's written a number of books, Awakening Intuition, also The New Feminine Brain, How Women Can Develop Their Inner Strengths, Genius, and Intuition. She also has created the Mind Body Makeover Cards, which is uh, uh, a wonderful way uh, with affirmations and changing, changing thought patterns. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and uh, you're tuned to uh, WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill and 102.9 in Bangor. We're on the web at www.weru.org. We're also having a pledge drive, so um, we haven't really talked about that at all. We're at, call in, please, 1-800-643-6273. That's 1-800-643-6273 because you can't hear this sort of thing anywhere else. So call up right now. The phone is not ringing, so someone's got to call right now. And um, thank you. And thank you. Number again is 1-800-643-6273. Please call and become a part of this community radio station. 1-800-643-6273. You might think that radio is free.